With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. At Bed365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. What if AI could help your business deliver mission-critical outcomes with speed? With IBM Consulting, your business can design, build, and scale trusted AI using Watson X and modernize the way you work to accelerate real impact. Let's create AI that transforms your business. Learn more at ibm.com slash consulting. IBM. Let's create. What's up? This is your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. You're listening to Fox Sports Radio. 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 All right, here we go. Straight out of Vegas on a Saturday into a Sunday. Steve Cofield, RJ Bell is here. And we've got two, two wise guys for the price of one. Brad Powers, college, college specialist. Steve Fezzik, all around, jack of all trades, master of the NFL. Big day today in basketball. We Absolutely. We're recapping. Yep. We're going to be previewing. Showtime! Woo! Vegas lead is what went down in the tournaments on Saturday, and recurring theme throughout the show tonight is going to be overrated, underrated. We'll have some sleepers because the brackets are coming out tomorrow, and we want to find out from these guys who they're high on, who they're not so high on. So let's start with Kentucky. We've been talking about Kentucky for weeks as being underrated, and that the betting markets were still underrating Kentucky of all schools. And now the Wildcats, man, the last two games, they look freaking dynamite. This was your best bet. Brad Powers, they were laying three and a half. Kentucky was against Alabama, 86-63. Alabama just fell apart. And this was the best bet on the show last night. Remember, straight out of Vegas, Friday nights, 11 p to midnight Pacific, extra hour tonight. Yeah, and total domination from pretty much start to finish. Kentucky led by double digits at halftime and extended it in the second half. And why has Kentucky been underrated? Let's face it, Kentucky had a very subpar January, early February. But this young team, their top six players for Kentucky, all freshmen, really starting to grow here in their last seven games. Kentucky 6-1 and one straight up, 6-1 and one against the number, and all six of those covers by double digits exceeding expectations, including today exceeding expectations, the Vegas line by nearly 20 points in that blowout win. Now, carrying it forward, Kentucky will probably, this won't carry on for much longer if Kentucky continues this, because let's face it, they're a very profile team, Kentucky, public team, and I'm guessing that this won't carry too much, and I'm already seeing it as far as tomorrow's game, where Kentucky's a pick game plus one against Tennessee. I think the markets are starting to catch up. All right, let's back up and talk about these points 
individually, it felt like that all kind of blurred, is Kentucky was impressive today. Let's look at the game itself. Was the scoreboard pretty indicative of how the game was played? Absolutely. Uh, I mean, So Kentucky dominated. Now, what are they doing, Kentucky, on the floor today, recently, that they weren't doing two months ago? Defensive intensity is there uh, a lot more, and today, especially the offensive end, Kentucky's been a mismatch, uh, mismatch offensively all year, and they had a guy, Gabriel, 7-for-7 from the three-point line. That was a Kentucky record. They had never had a player in school history go 7-for-7 from the three-point line and not have a miss, so that was kind of a historic performance that led Kentucky to a blowout win. Their biggest weakness up until about three weeks ago was three-point shooting makes and attempts. They were bottom 15 in the country. We're talking you know, down around 335, 345. They were not shooting and making three-pointers. They started to do that, and today not only did that kid go 7-7, seven seven, they went 12-18 of 18 overall. That's insane. Yeah, and if Kentucky's hitting 12 out of 18 from three-point range, obviously they're a top-15 caliber team. Uh, can you expect that moving forward? I don't think so because full season stats, I'm going to carry that more than you know what happened today. And hint, hint, I am leaning towards the under tomorrow's game because Kentucky today shot 64% from the field. That's their second highest mark out of any game this season. You know, one caution about the under. Coach Cal during the timeouts was telling his team, boy, you guys, are you tired? You don't want to run? I need more pace. I want you to go faster. Never do I see a coach do that, especially in a conference semi or final. This is quite an aberration, and I think his players are buying into it. And I think it's since you just mentioned it in a semifinal or final, Kentucky domination in this SEC tournament. I have to mention these stats here. Semifinals all time, SEC tournament for Kentucky. In the semifinal round of that tournament, 42 and 2 straight up. Since the league split in 92 with divisions. Against the spread, Kentucky, all, all the games in the SEC tournament, 46 and 22 against the spread. Even better in the semifinals and finals, 27 and 10 against the spread. They've dominated this entire conference two, three decades. ACC title game played. That was a semifinal. This is the title game. Virginia beats North Carolina, laying four, total 125 and a half. Faster pace and slow down at the end. Still goes over 70 to 63. Positives on Virginia's side, negatives on UNC. Did UNC get tired like you thought? No, it played out pretty much like I expected. We, we t- said that North Carolina probably be a little bit tired. Fourth game in four days on last night's show. Virginia hit them a little bit early. North Carolina came back and made it a game midway through the second half and kind of ran out a little bit of gas. Virginia was about a, a three-and-a-half, four-point favorite in the marketplace, one by eight. So it, it pretty much was the final score, 71-63, to 63, pretty much played out like that score. Well, the final. So let's look at Virginia moving forward. First of all, you have a national title ticket on Virginia Bad Powers? I did. I bet Virginia when they're low, 25-1. to 1. So Virginia's going to be the number one overall seed, I'm guessing, and when the selection show announces the teams tomorrow. 25-1 to 1 isn't too bad to have on the number one overall seed. Normally right. the number one seeds, once the tournament starts, are about what? 5-1, to 6-1, to 4-1 to 1 if they're a public team like a Duke or a Kentucky. Right now, Virginia's 6-1 to 1 in most spots. Fezzik? Actually, is not that high in Virginia. What's your problem? I think they got a dream draw in the ACC tournament. They got Clemson without their best player, and then they got a North Carolina team that just come off revenge wins against Miami and Duke that had to play four games in four nights. So North Carolina was gassed for this game. 
I don't even like Virginia. I like North Carolina, but I bet Virginia in this game because it was a great spot. So just to be clear, so Virginia didn't have to play as many games. Yeah, Virginia only had to play three games. Okay, so typically when you have a team playing a fourth game in four nights, North Carolina in this case, and a team playing three games in three nights, right? Virginia in this case, how many points do you give that in a handicap? might be worth half a point, but in this case it's worth more because Virginia had a laugher against Clemson. They cruised to victory, whereas their opponent, North Carolina, had a really tough game against Duke. Okay, so maybe a point? At least, yes. At least. Okay, so maybe a point and a half. I go a point and a half. Okay, so if the line is four and they win by seven, is that correct? Yeah, they won actually won by eight, 71-63. Oh, the score on the sheet's wrong here. Eight. Okay, so... If we take off two points and say, all right, say we, they won by six because we're going to remove that advantage they had, they still covered the spread. So, like, to me, this is the thing that is the worst habit that I don't know if it's the worst habit a handicapper can have. It's one of them is you get something in your head that Virginia is overrated, and no matter what they do, they're still going to be overrated, right? So they went the whole year. And did they win the ACC regular season? Yeah, 17 and 1, historically okay. good. So, go ahead, Brian. No, no team has ever won, tw- counting the, uh, the ACC tournament, no team has ever won 20 games in a single ACC season. All those great Duke and North Carolina teams, Virginia's the first team to ever do it this season. And it's not like we can make the case the ACC's r- r- really down. Duke is a top five team. And in your power ratings, Brad, where's North Carolina right now? Number seven, number eight. Three of the top eight teams in the country. ACC is the strongest conference. So the case could be made if you start at the beginning of the conference season for Virginia through the tournament, this is the greatest season ever for an ACC team. Absolutely. But somehow they're overrated because somehow they had there was an injury in the first round against their opponent and because they played one less game. No, they're overrated because they've been great all year long, but they're not improving at all. And all these younger How teams... How can you get better than historically good? Well, but all these other teams like Duke so and I'm North asking Carolina you, are. You're not saying anything that makes any sense. They're, so tell me why you think Virginia's overrated. Because they have a ceiling. They were the very best I, I team in the country. I know you've been saying that for six weeks, but mm-hmm. is that what I'm saying is... So the assumption is, why do they have a ceiling? Let's start there. They just don't have the athletes that a Duke or a North Carolina have. But somehow they're able to beat them. They run great systems, yes. All right, so why does that change in the playoffs? Because I expect that these younger teams like these Kentuckys, these Dukes, these North Carolinas in good spots when they're rested are going to be every bit as good as Virginia. So North Carolina today, though, because of that one extra game, that's the exception. Well, they just came off a win against arch-rival Duke. It was a terrible spot for them. So they were flat, too? Yes. Okay, they didn't care about winning the ACC title. I don't think they cared all that much. They'd like to have won. But it wasn't so, Brad, do you agree game. with this? I do not. I, I think so. Virginia, why aren't you speaking up? Well, I, I, I just will. speak up. Here's the reason: I think people are not buying Virginia because of past lack of success in the NCAA tournament. Here's a team that's never made the Final Four, despite the fact that they've had. I think this will be the third or fourth time they've had a number one seed. So, I think a lot of people, because of one game two years ago, a Syracuse game where. Virginia blew an 18-point lead. If Syracuse, I mean, if Virginia would have broke through and made a Final Four, we wouldn't hear this talk about ceiling with Virginia. Best defense the last 17 years in college basketball. Here's the beauty, guys. We're going to be able to be debating aggressively Fezzik, Brad, me, as Virginia marches probably to the Final Four. My Arizona Wildcats go out, laying four and a half, 
beat SC, title game, and beat them pretty easily. 75-61, to 61, that's a Pac-12 title game. T-Mobile in Las Vegas. DeAndre Ayton is playing like a man possessed right now. Yeah, and keep in mind, DeAndre Ayton was the player that was mentioned as possibly getting the $100,000, or at least there was talks of payouts since that was announced. Here's some of his stat lines in his games. How about 28 points, 18 rebounds, first game against Oregon. A 26-point, 20-rebound game, 32 points, 14 boards in the semifinals last night, and then tonight, best game of the season for DeAndre Ayton. 32 points, 18 boards, basically scored half of Arizona's points. Best player in the country right now, DeAndre Ayton. And Arizona, as far as the, the betting markets are falling, they're not seeing any distractions with Arizona. Arizona bet again heavily today, went from a three-point favorite to four-and-a-half-point favorite, cover the spread. So when you say the market's not seeing any distractions, they're being bet. Arizona is being bet by collectively the betters. But prior to this game, Arizona's against the spread record, as we talked about last night, no, wasn't so good. They were what two and three, if I remember. Two and three should have been one and four. With the overtime, overtime them. cover. Yes. So what you're saying is they exceeded Arizona expectations today. They haven't for a majority of the game since the controversy. But the market's saying, "Give me Arizona, give me Arizona." And what they're seeing is that it, correct? Yes, absolutely correct. And okay. So Fez, what did you see today with the Arizona action? Was it? Public money, sharp money, both, one? I think everything. There's a whole lot of Arizona people in Vegas, RJ. And so they had a big home field, home court advantage in this game. And I think all those people bet on Arizona before they went to the game. All right, but so you think the home court, this is something we said on the Dream Preview, the home court was a secret. I don't think so it's you a think secret people were, you think anymore. people were betting it today? Like the casual Arizona fans were betting it today, or the recreational batters who are big Arizona fans, because they somehow perceived... The home court? No, the recreational people just bet because they like Arizona. The pros <laughs> bet on Arizona because they recognize that the line did not incorporate that home court edge. So to recap then, what you're saying is because of the geographic proximity, a lot of Arizona batters here in Nevada, specifically Vegas, so they're betting their team. And because those very betters are here, there were more of those Arizona people in the crowd, which gave them a home crowd advantage. Exactly. But it's not just geography. It's loyalty. They're much more loyal than the Southern California fans. We've got overrated, underrated teams on the way as we look ahead towards the brackets in the NCAA tournament. We'll get one last point on Arizona because I'm not so sure that Brad Powers is that high in Arizona in the tournament. That's on the way. Straight out of Vegas, Fox Sports Radio. Straight out of Vegas! All right, back here straight out of Vegas. Steve Cofield, R.J. Bell. We've got double wise guys chairs with Fezzik and Brad Powers rolling down the Saturday results and looking ahead towards the NCAA tournament and a couple of finals on Sunday as well. Let's get into the American and Cincinnati. Cincinnati goes out. Second straight game does not cover. They take out the Memphis Tigers 70-60. to 60. Impressions on Cincinnati. All right, so let's really put in perspective how bad Cincinnati played in this game, especially in the first half. 17-point favorite over Memphis, and they were down by 13 at halftime. You're supposed to win the game by 17, and you're losing by 13 at halftime. Obviously, turned it on, made up that 13, and even 10 more, so plus 23 in the second half. To me, if we look back on Friday, and Brad, recap, what was the uh, line in the general score for Cincinnati on Friday? 
right around the same. They were the Cincinnati was a 16-17 point favorite over SMU. Won the game by ten over SMU. And was was this one where were they down in the first half, or was it more of just that was the flow of the game? That was the flow of the game. Okay, Fess. They, they actually are only ahead Cincinnati by one point at halftime, so they came out flat in that game as well. All right, so uh, but not down. So no. fair enough. But you're right uh, about break even or so. Again, like you said, one point at half Friday for Cincinnati. Again, favored by sixteen today. Favored by seventeen. So as we were breaking this game down, to me it came down to one question, which is what's Cincinnati playing for? What are they playing for? And as we talked it through, it's like really nothing. It feels like – now, if they would have lost today as a 17-point favorite, maybe there were some consequences. But just winning this game, we all seem to agree a short Cincinnati was going to be – and when we say a short, highly probable Cincinnati's going to be a two-seed. It can't be a one, and now we don't think they can be a three. So really, coming into Friday's game, Cincinnati figured if we, we just win, doesn't matter by how much, as a 16-point favorite, and then we win as a big favorite Saturday, we're a two-seed. Covering these spreads doesn't mean very much anything to them. And potentially winning this tournament doesn't mean much to them. And just in general, it seems like there's a malaise with Cincinnati. So, Fez, here's my question to you. I think finding out when disappointing performances are telling about a team's true merit versus identifying disappointing performances that really aren't a sign of their merit but other factors, one of the keys to handicapping. I personally, it's hard to imagine unless Cincinnati really showed us some bad stuff in the four or five games prior to Friday that I think this is an opportunity to say, hey, everyone's going to be talking about how Cincinnati's underperformed. But in truth, there was a clear lack of motivation. And when that ratchets up, we're going to get the same Cincinnati team we had this year. Thoughts? I was ready to agree with you about the malaise on Friday when they played the bad The malaise. Game. There we go, oh. Fez. Oh, well, SAT, baby. I stole your word. And <laughs> But now after that really bad game Cincinnati plays Friday, I'm like, hey, the coach goes screaming. They should have been motivated today. I'm worried. To, to what end? To the fact that they're playing really bad teams and they should be blowing them they're out. They're doing and- everything. Like, to, if they had won both of these games by 50 points, would they be anything but a two seed? No. And what are they going to be? A two seed. So you're saying they should have really, really cared about meaningless margins. After a bad performance Friday, I think they should have. Hmm. Hmm. What do you think, Brad? Well, here's the thing with Cincinnati and why I was hesitant on last night's show to lay a lot of points with Cincinnati, whether they're motivated or not. And a lot of times, we're going to expect them to be motivated tomorrow. They're about a four-and-a-half-point favor in the championship game against Houston. Cincinnati's offense, they have the worst offense out of any top 25 <laughs> team. So when you're, Shocker! when you're offensively Shocker challenged, Cincinnati. how are you going to lay 17 points? <laughs> but you're making my point. You're saying that there is a factor in general for getting their motivation yep. that hinders Cincinnati from getting margin. Yep, that factor being they're a great defensive team and not a even a good offensive team. So we're saying, hey, they have two main reasons not to get margin in these games, Friday and Saturday. One being no clear motivation, and number two being they're not the type of team that gets a margin anyway. So Fez, boy, that's that's two nails in the coffin of your perspective. Well, maybe the you're correct that whenever this team has is you could stop there. Maybe I'm correct. That that could be enough. 
We'll see, RJ. Let's see, how, <laughs> let's see how they come out tomorrow. You got an easy excuse. They lose to Houston. Now they don't care. So they maybe they don't care about the championship game too much. Well, don't isn't that one of our basic premises? Is that that we think? Oh, there's a championship game. That's the game that matters the most. Maybe other than the, the NCAA tournament should be the most important game of the year. But how often? Do these teams play otherwise? How often is the effort level other than the highest in these championship games when someone's locked in the tournament, when these teams are locked in the tournament? I think it's a little unusual not to get a full effort in the championship game. I think teams sometimes coast in the semis and the quarters once you get to the final. So you're making the case that Cincinnati's not getting margin isn't meaningful. I think I want to see how they play tomorrow because ah, I think they'll so be So he went from being tomorrow. pretty sure to saying, you know, you might be right. I'm hedging I'll my take bet. it. We're coming to you live from the Geico Fox Sports Radio Studios. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Visit geico.com for a free rate quote. Misleading final. Villanova goes out laying 13, beats Providence by 10 in overtime. What was misleading? Well, the game went to overtime, and Villanova got margin in overtime, outscored Providence, a very tired Providence team that went to overtime the night before against a top-five Xavier team. Providence ran out of gas. Villanova won by 10. Obviously, at the end of regulation, Villanova, a 13-point favorite, was tied. Villanova clearly didn't meet expectations. So I would agree, if anything, the listeners can smile because the time you don't need us. I think, let's be honest, I think... We strive to provide a lot of value here straight out of Vegas and pregame.com. But when there's that little OT yep. on the scoreboard, I don't think anyone has to be told that it was tied at the end of yeah. regulation. So, <laughs> yes, they did win by 10 in that five minutes. Fair enough. Now, here's my question. You talk about Providence being tired and thus margin in overtime makes sense. Though not enough margin even for Villanova to cover, what was the st- what was the score in this game with five minutes left? Meaning was because I don't know the answer. If Villanova was up five or so, and Providence came back, it'd be like, huh, okay, so it's still disappointing for Villanova, but I would feel better about Nova in that case. But if Providence was up five and that fatigue, you know, I used to bet, you know, I used to do a lot of dog racing when I was like in high school, which is oh boy. I think the statute of limitations is up, so I could say, you know, so I knew one of the ticket writers over there, so I ended up losing tens of thousands of dollars as a kid. On, <laughs> I would beat my friends. I'd make money playing poker and doing different things. I'd go give it away at the dog track. But they used to have a keystone course, it was called. And so there's the normal course, and the keystone was like an extra 30%. So it was a long race. And you could see there was dogs sometimes that would race the normal length that they would jump up to the keystone. So when it gets to the you know 30% left, the normal race, you see them just start slowing. It's like they're in mud. And then dogs usually are flying by. So was this a situation where Providence had a nice lead and Villanova came back? How'd the game end? Five minutes left. It was 56-52. Villanova was leading. All right. So I think still disappointing, but... It wasn't as if Providence dominated or had a nice, clear, superior performance and then Villanova was able to come back because of fatigue. It would seem the game being tied in itself is sort of an indictment on Villanova, but not as much as if they needed Providence being tired to even tie it up. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was going to be a disappointment regardless for Villanova. And 
56-52 with five minutes left. Illinois pretty much up five to seven points throughout much of the second half. So impressive by Providence to actually rally and force regulation. I came away not necessarily downgrading Villanova so much, but more upgrading Providence. Back-to-back performances against number one seeds, how impressive. We, how, same question we always got to ask throughout the recaps. How do you characterize quickly Villanova's motivation entering this game? Great point. I mean, obviously it's a championship game. You want to win it. But we do a podcast, and I thought Dave Essler, the, the gentleman that we do the podcast with each and every week, brought up a good point. When Villanova's won the Big East championship game, they've struggled, lost in like the second round of the NCAA tournament. When Villanova's failed to win the Big East conference tournament, they've made the championship game and also won the national championship. So I, Jay Wright's a type of coach that you know I think is a little bit more forward-thinking. I don't know if they were 100% fully focused for this one uh, like a normal team would. I want to look at the one seeds. So let's do that on the way back because uh, Villanova is a one seed. We think Xavier's a one seed. Kansas is a one seed. I want to break down the Kansas game against West Virginia and get from you guys if you can even tell us who you have the most confidence in as a one seed. But first, Steve DeSager with the latest. So much to get to tonight. Number one, Virginia won the ACC tournament final 71-63 over North Carolina. And number two ranked Villanova in overtime took the Big East final against Providence 76-66. Jalen Brunson 31 points. Kansas won the Big 12 again. Arizona took the Pac-12. Mountain West winner was San Diego State. The WAC went to New Mexico State. In Anaheim, the Big West final right now with eight and a half minutes to go as Cal State Fullerton up on UC Irvine 57-45. Other conference final winners, Montana, Buffalo, and Marshall. Also, North Carolina Central, Texas Southern, and Stephen F. Austin get tickets to the dance. And Maryland-Baltimore County won the America East final on a last-second three-pointer to win at Vermont, 65-62. Connecticut fired coach Kevin Ollie. Georgia fired coach Mark Fox. Great news, there's a quick way you can save money. Switch to GEICO. Go to GEICO.com, and in 15 minutes, you could save 15% or more on car insurance. Just five NBA games. Games, wins for Oklahoma City and the Clippers for Miami and Charlotte. Dallas sent Memphis to a 17th straight loss. Tiger Woods is one stroke back in Florida, tied for second place heading into Sunday's final round. Richard Sherman agreed to a three-year deal with the 49ers, the former Seahawks defensive back. The Twins agreed to a one-year deal with pitcher Lance Lynn. NASCAR's 500 in Phoenix Sunday is on Fox TV, 3.30 p.m. Eastern time. No rain expected then. There was a two-hour delay in the Xfinity race today, won by Brad Keselowski. And finally, Venus and Serena Williams each won second-round tennis matches in Southern California. They'll face each other next on Monday. Back to you. We're back here on this Saturday into a Sunday. (laughs) Fun times tonight as we're breaking down the brackets. They're going to be coming out tomorrow. Also looking at title games that went down today, semifinals that went down today around college basketball. So we've been talking about the one seeds. Uh, Let's talk about Kansas, and then I want to get from you guys real quickly who you have the most confidence in as a one seed, or maybe you'll tell me, you know what, I can't answer that until I see the bracket. It doesn't matter until I see the matchup. So Kansas goes out, and Kansas is not healthy right now. They're missing a big element in the middle. They went out today, Kansas did, and beat West Virginia pretty easily in the end, 81-70. to And let's break it down. Kansas was actually an underdog. So a number one seed in Kansas was an underdog on a neutral floor against the number two seed in the Big 12, West Virginia. Today. So first question is, was that a neutral floor? No, it was more prone. I would say crowd was 75-80% Kansas. All right, so it was Kansas, the clearly superior team, any debate about that? And no, it was typical Kansas. Yeah, yeah, West yes Ver- or no? Is there any debate? That- Kansas superior team. I'll debate it. 
I think they're equal. So where do you have Kansas in your power ratings, Brent? In my power ratings, Kansas is the number nine team in the country. West Virginia is 11. Okay, so all right, So what we're saying is pretty close. Yep. Now, would you say Kansas being nine, is that something that Vegas in general would agree with? Are you in line, do you think, with the other wise guys? Yeah, my Kansas lines aren't too far off from where I have it projected. And when it comes <laughs> to... Well, I mean, they, they, should they be a one then? If, ever, if, if most of the wise guys think they're a nine, they should not be a one seed then. No, no more of a two. Interesting. Uh, I mean, uh, I would have... So there's a question that's begging yeah. itself right now, so I'll ask it. What is the disconnect? So in the AP, let's say, or in you know whatever other public poll that we're talking about, uh, or that, that it, I think defines public sentiment, where's Kansas? Well, you got to take into consideration Azubuki, a key injury for them. He's been out for the entire Big 12 tournament. He's their leading rebounder. He's a guy that's worth a couple points a line. So that's why Kansas right now, number nine in my ratings and not like a five or a six. Okay, so my understanding is that player's due back for the tournament. Yep. So in the tournament, let's assume he's back, you have Kansas where? I would have Kansas right around five or number six. I would okay. still have so them. just a smidge below yes. a number one seed. All right, so probably not worth diving too deep into a half a point or a <laughs> point of assessment. So Vegas likes, and I think the, the wise guys agree with Vegas, that Duke and Michigan State, they, they believe they're more number one qualified than Kansas. Yeah, absolutely. especially Duke more so than Michigan State. Would definitely If you were just going off of Vegas power ratings, Duke would be that fourth number one seed besides Virginia, Villanova, and Kansas, maybe Kansas, uh, slightly in there, or Xavier. So what are we, right now, Steve, what are we trying to talk about? I'm asking, I'll ask you, is it actionable? What? I don't even know what we're talking about. Is a number one seed that should be a two, a three, or a four, in this case, you could have Kansas as low as possibly a three, Okay, as a one, can you play against that? So really what you're saying is if a team's overrated, can you play against it? So... If the Vegas, this is another example where there's actually three data points, and this is a very powerful concept. Data point number one is how good these teams really are. Now, Vegas, better than any other organization, can assess that. So let's just say the Vegas opinion on true merit is point number one for a team like Kansas. And let's just say Brad says number six. Say we agree with that. Fez, you agree with that? Is that about close? I agree. All right. Number six. That's their true merit. Now, number two is going to be, or the second is going to be, how good does the committee think they are? All right. And assuming they're getting a number one seed, let's just say the committee thinks number four. Okay. So Vegas believes the committee has Kansas a little bit overrated. Now, here's the key what's the public think? They're going to love Kansas. So public's thinking four, maybe three. Yep. So. In that case, you could say, well, if the, if the line is being set, the market is going to say they're the third best team, Kansas, but they're really the sixth best, then yeah, we're probably looking at a point of, now, doesn't mean we blindly play against them, because I would make another point on this result, but let's set that aside for one second. I think this result for Kansas is very impressive, but to finish the point, Cofield, you're making, it feels like they're a little bit overrated by the public. Thus, there's a little bit of value fading Kansas. Now, another example of this could be is if somehow the public, the betting market, thought they were 10 or 12, 
right? Which doesn't make sense with Kansas, but let's just say. Then it might be a situation where Vegas is saying, hey, the committee's overrating this team, but the public's underrating them. So there's really three. Whenever guys out there listening, whenever you look at these teams, if you're handicapping yourself, you want to say, what's the committee say? That's objectively true. There's, or it's an objective fact. You'll see their seat. What does Vegas think? Well, you go to Brad Powers on Twitter. It's Brad Powers 7, the number 7, Brad Powers 7, or pregame.com, and look at his power ratings. And that's going to be a really good indication of what Vegas thinks. And then you look at what the line is, because that is what the market is saying. Now, the market in the NCAA tournament is significantly influenced by the public, right? Usually, if this was regular season, what the line is and what Vegas thinks are pretty much one and the same, right? Because the public has very little to say before the NCAA tournament. Now that we're in the tournament, we can fade the public biases. So why was this result especially impressive for Kansas? This seems like the flip side of what Fezzik always does when he wants to excuse one of his losing teams is he'll say, wow, we know that Bill Self has, in fact, we've been saying it for a week. Bill Self has a history of not caring about the Big 12 tournament. And boy, they had to expend Kansas a lot of energy to come back one game down from Texas Tech to win the regular season, which is something we've talked a lot about how important that was because they've had, what, was it 13 in a row now or is it 12 in a row now? 13. 13 now. This is like the most, this is John Wooden type stuff that Kansas has done within the Big 12 where they've won the regular season either by themselves or tied for 13 straight seasons. That was a goal they really cared about. And we felt like, oh, maybe they're going to be a little flat. But then you said, no, no, no. First game, Okie State, they got revenge because they had just, and beat by him. So we expect them to play hard there. Okay, they did, right? Then we said, oh, well, they're not going to let Kansas State beat them. They're in-state rival. So we expect them to play hard there. But here, it was like a perfect storm of not caring because all the other factors of fatigue and wanting to get ready for the NCAA tournament, plus, finally, this West Virginia team, they didn't have revenge again. I mean, yeah, you'd want to win the title, but it felt like something in a handicap yesterday we felt Kansas was at a big disadvantage motivationally. And there was a reason that Kansas, with a home court advantage, was a dog. Was a dog. Everyone agreed with us. And they still won by 11. This is a huge win. Absolutely. And, and a lot of it was second half. They extended the lead. I mean, Kansas, you think maybe they're tired? 72% they shot from the floor in the second half against that pressure defense for West Virginia. And they have a guy worth, you're saying, a point plus. Not in the lineup. Not in the lineup. And, and this team's only sixth? Who's ahead of them? Virginia, Villanova. But overrated Duke. Virginia? Apparently. I know. Not <laughs> said overrated. Yeah, that's Fezzik, not me. We'll see about that. Who else? Oh, read the list. Uh, Virginia, uh, Villanova up there, Michigan State, Duke. Michigan State right now on a neutral with the key player from Kansas back, the seven footer, pick them. Neutral court, pick them. You're 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 not taking Kansas with both fists. No, Fez, pick them. It's pick them. It's pick them. Oh, what do you think? <laughs> What's the square chair say? Kansas. 
I, you I, know, I, Kansas third straight game against West Virginia down double digits. They win them all. RJ, here's some a team that makes very good corrections adjustments at halftime. So they were down how much Kansas in this game? No, coming into today's game, they were down double digits each of the previous three meetings, and we're down again today at halftime, but not double digits. I think they got down eight in the second half, eight to ten. We've got a crossfire on the way because we had another Browns move. They actually sent someone out of town to the Patriots. Surprise, surprise. But that's coming up in about five, six minutes. One last point on your rankings because I know this is a team that you've been saying is overrated. It's the other number one seed. Where do you have Xavier? I do not have Xavier in my top 10. Xavier right now, number 12 in my power ratings. Not buying them whatsoever. And what do we think? Like the AP right now? Or what do we AP's, AP's got Xavier number three. Going to get a number one seed. North Carolina maybe could have taken them tonight. Had North Carolina beaten Virginia, North Carolina might have slipped past them from the number one seed. Looks like Xavier's going to be a number one seed. That is a team I will definitely be fading in the NCAA tournament. Way overrated. But not necessarily in the first round. Maybe, no, maybe not. Of course not. In the, well, first round, if they're laying you know, 20 points, why, yeah. why not? But and, th- got, and it's worth saying is we do our dream preview. So you just go to pregame.com and check that out or at RJ in Vegas on Twitter, and we'll have an, a special episode released Wednesday, crack of dawn, 6 a.m. Eastern time, crack of dawn Wednesday, is Brad Powers, Steve Fezzik, and likely one of the biggest bookmakers in Vegas, and me, will be going down in reverse chronological order all of the first-round games, handicapping each one, rapid fire. I don't think you can miss it. So... One of the things I want to hear on the dream preview is who you guys favor, uh, offensive teams or grinder teams. Because I, I think there's there's something to be said about a lot of these teams we just talked about. Xavier, your big point on Xavier is what? They can't really grind because they can't play defense. No, Xavier's got the worst So def- Hold on. When you say they can't grind, what does that mean? They're not playing a low-paced game. I, I don't know that they're going to excel. Are they going to excel in a game? Are they even going to get involved in a game where it's you know 57-54? It, they're, it, they're what, outside of the top 60 in defense? Only team in the top 20 to be outside the top 60 in defense. Average defense rank, last 16 national champs, 8th. 8th in the country. That's why Xavier's overrated. Browns add Tyrod Taylor. They ship out Deshaun Kaiser. We'll see if that's going to make a big difference. Looking at the futures, the betting markets have an answer on that. That's coming up straight out of Vegas, Fox Sports Radio. Straight out of Vegas! Rolling on on this Saturday into a Sunday, straight out of Vegas. Brought to you by Hooters. you got to get to Hooters and try the new smoked wings. It's a whole new way to crave wings. With all the taste and half the calories, we can all eat twice as many. Hooters. Hooters. Is that in the copy, the twice as many? No, I just throw that in there. I like that. Because that's the way my mind's thinking. It's in the copy. Half the cow. Oh, it is. <laughs> oh, so they understand the market. Yep. I, those copy asses. Commence. Steve Cofield. One of those lard asses. R.J. Bell along with the Wise Guys chairs filled by Fezzik and Brad Powers. Some NFL. The Browns have been a big story the last couple of days. They're making moves, sending guys out, but more importantly, bringing players in. Did they make significant moves? Start off with the quarterback. Do they finally have the guy in Tyrod Taylor? Is he a difference maker for the Browns? All right, so different question. Right? Finally have the guy, the guy that's going to lead them to the promised land. That's absurd. All right, so let's save our time there. The question: He led a team to the playoffs last year. Is that the promised land? Making the playoffs is a step forward for this team. Well, that wasn't the question, right? Is if you say you finally have the guy, is that's supposing 
the goal is the Super Bowl, right? If the Browns make the playoffs five times in the next ten years mm-hmm. and they don't win a Super Bowl, has it been a successful ten years? No. Can Tyrod Taylor win a Super Bowl? Yes. He can. Yes. Wowza. He'd be the worst quarterback to win a Super Bowl. At least, at least the performance. Well, that's it's really worse than Trent so, Dilfer, huh? Well, I was the question would have been because obviously the demarcator is Brent uh, is Johnson, Brad Johnson, mm-hmm. and Dilfer. I don't know who's Dilfer. I, I guess that's a separate. I think Taylor's basically the same thing in a six foot one African American form. He's a caretaker quarterback, so if he doesn't make mistakes, he can lead a team to wins. I'm not saying he's. He's not going to carry you, but if he doesn't make mistakes, he's a pretty efficient quarterback. But here's the thing, and Nick Foles throws a monkey wrench into it, which is Nick Foles played one of the five best quarterback games in the history of the Super Bowl, objectively. But Nick Foles was a backup quarterback. So do we say Nick Foles is a top five quarterback in Super Bowl history, or do we say he was a backup quarterback? I think we got to say it was a backup quarterback because anyone can have a good game. And, and the fact they're debating, are they going to trade him for you know a, a third-round pick or not, is some of the people debating, is like obviously he's not being considered elite even after that amazing performance that was so unexpected. But let's set Foles aside, which isn't fair, but let's do it quickly just to make my point and then say maybe that point isn't as clear as it was two months ago. Since Brad Johnson, since... Trent Dilfer, every quarterback that's won a Super Bowl was probably a top ten quarterback that year that you know that year they won. So in some of them, you know, many of them, Peyton Manning twice, Big Ben twice, Brady, what Aaron five Rogers. times, Aaron Rodgers. These are Hall of about eighty percent of the quarterbacks winning were Hall of Fame quarterbacks. So if the idea is we've gone away from quarterbacks being all the more valuable, because boy, even three months ago, we're like every year that goes by, these quarterbacks become more valuable. <laughs> Has that somehow reversed itself? Because Nick Foles played so well. To me, the aberration was Nick Foles playing like a Hall of Famer, and yeah, any quarterback can do that. I mean, we look at the worst quarterbacks ever in the last ten years, and they all have one game that looks like a Hall of Fame game. Right, So Nick Foles played that. That's amazing. But boy, if the bet is going into a Super Bowl game, Tyrod Taylor's going to play like a Hall of Famer, I'm fading that one. We'll continue the debate because I think we want to lean on that top 10 quarterback note. Tyrod Taylor by Pro Football Focus was the 12th ranked quarterback this past season. More on the way straight out of Vegas. Fox Sports Radio. Straight out of Vegas! College basketball. Tourney finals tomorrow, and the brackets come out. We'll analyze that in less than 15. It's Steve Cofield, RJ Bell. And we got two wise guys, double wise guys. Brad Powers College specialist. Steve Fezzik, NBA specialist. Also an NFL, the NFL specialist. And we've got some NFL debate coming up. We got March Madness going on with the Browns. A little bit, right? Big moves. So did the Browns make the right move in trading for Tyrod Taylor? All right, Fez. We're going to have a little crossfire here. We disagree big on this one. But let's set up the question, and Cofield asked the right question. It's not did they upgrade. All right, because 
Kaiser was one of the worst quarterbacks in a long time. He improved a little as the season went on, but horrible. Right? So Taylor is clearly better than Kaiser. That's not the question. The question is, considering giving up the 65th pick in the draft, paying $16 million, and only having this quarterback under contract for one year. So think about it. What are the elements in the NFL to get a player? One is, if you're trading for him, what are you giving up? Right, Because if you sign a free, free agent, well, you know, there's compensatory and all that. Generally, you're getting them close for free. But usually, if you sign a free agent, you're paying a premium. But in this case, the Browns gave up the 65th pick, first pick of the third round. They're paying a premium. No one thinks Taylor's worth $16 million a year. If, he, if he's a bust, they lost their third-round pick and paid $16 million. If he actually plays well, they don't even have him locked up. They'll have to give him... What do you? You're pretty good at this, Kofi. What would you get? If, let's say he has a a top, you know, tenth best quarterback in the league type year, like a surprisingly good but reasonable year. What, what, what's uh, Taylor signed for? I think about the same, eighteen million a year for like four or five years, though. Probably three. Ooh, three. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, if, if I could just jump in for a second, I do. If they traded the third round pick to have one year of Tyrod Taylor at sixteen million, that's stupid. Now. I think they should make a commitment to that, but then you think that's stupid if they have them around for two and three years. Well, that brings up the question. is, And this is what Fez will give his perspective on. Is this a one-year bridge? And they pretty much, the only way that could make any sense would be, hey, we're going to give up the 65th pick for a one-year bridge for a quarterback that's probably, you know, average at best. Now, I know pro football focus for one year says he was 10th. Taylor is not the 10th best quarterback in the NFL. All right, so let's call 16 as average. So you're going to pay $16 million for the 16th, oh, symmetry, the 16th best quarterback to bridge to what? That presupposes you're bridging to drafting a quarterback either number one or number four. But now the question becomes, does that quarterback even truly get to develop if he's not starting? Right, Because under the new agreement with the union, they don't have much time. So, Fez, you believe this was a good move. For the Browns, explain to me the premise of that. What do you expect the Browns to do with Taylor? Well, I think he's going to start this year, and they're going to evaluate. I think they'll take a quarterback, and I believe RJ. So one, either one or four, you think they take a quarterback? Absolutely. And the Browns immediately are going to upgrade this year. I expect them to win six or seven games. I, I like your parameters. I think Taylor is just a slightly below average quarterback. The Browns, sans quarterback discussion, are a slightly below average team. So you put that together, they should be able to win six or seven games with Taylor. Huge upgrade, and now they've got options as they develop a rookie quarterback. No, but let's talk about that. That's an easy bucket to say they've got options. So I think it would be a big surprise. So, Cofield, do you agree that Taylor's a slightly below-average quarterback? No, I think he's top 15, so I think he's slightly above average. Right, so I think, And I also think if, if embraced for his strengths, I think he can actually be a top 10 guy. Okay, so his strengths are running the ball. His strengths are actually throwing the ball downfield, but they always seemed hesitant with that. And the Bills also were not very good at wide receiver much of the time. When Sammy Watkins was healthy, that was the one guy. They really stripped down a receiver core. Tyrod Taylor didn't have a lot of weapons to throw to. Jarvis Landry's out there now. Corey Coleman, I think, can be a guy who goes down the field a little more. And one huge strength of Taylor is he does not throw interceptions. 
ball security. Last year, four interceptions. The year before, six interceptions. Anyone who bet on Kaiser this past year <laughs> knows he throws two interceptions a game. This is a false choice, though. No one's comparing him to Kaiser. We get it. You can't win in the NFL if you turn the ball over. Any team, including the Buffalo Bills, the team that know the most, that knows the most about Taylor by far, what's the Bills know over the Browns when it comes to Taylor? A hundred times more? Five hundred times more? It's much more. I don't know what the number is. They know that he didn't turn the ball over. They know how important turnovers or the lack of them on, with your offense are. And they said, get out. Go. We're done with you. I mean, we were here debating when the Bills actually sat Taylor and said, did not play coaching decision for the Peterman slash Peterson, because we could never get his name straight, incident. What was the conclusion we came up with? What was the only possible reason that they could have said, because think about it. There's only two possible reasons. The team that knew Taylor the best and still does said, we're going to choose to sit you down, even though we're paying you a massive salary for Peterman Peterson. They, There's only two possible reasons. The, and the number what one. What are they? The two reasons are they thought Peterman was good, which is obviously. Or not good. They thought Peterman was Peterson was better. Better than Taylor. That obviously can't be the case. The second reason is they do not want Taylor on their team the next year. Meaning we thought, hey, they were worried they were going to make the playoffs. The Bills knew they weren't going anywhere in the playoffs. They would rather have not made the playoffs if they could have cut Taylor because there was a big balloon payment coming up like March 17th or something. That's why this trade happened now. So they probably would have cut him if they couldn't have traded him, even though they made the playoffs. But somehow we are sitting here saying, well, the Bills don't know football, really. We do, though, and the Browns do. So it's Fezzik and the Browns <laughs> versus the Bills. Which side do you want to be on, Brad? Uh, I am on the Bills. Why? John Dorsey is now, John Dorsey is a Packers guy to the Chiefs. It didn't work out with the Chiefs, but he's a Packers guy. He's running the Browns organization now. That's not a big upgrade. I mean, I think that is significant that they've changed so their management. So a Packers guy. Yes. So this is the Packers guy. It's one of the Packer. it's one of the members of the Packers tree, yes, as a personnel guy. Okay. The Packers tree that Colin Cowherd and many people believe has done as bad of a job as you can. Hold on, let me yep. finish my yep. point. Yep. As bad as a job as you can, putting guys around Aaron Rodgers. Why he do, wasn't even the best guy there. Why does <laughs> why why do people think the Packers Ted Thompson was bad in one way? Because he would never augment from the outside. He always relied just on the draft. So that was a flaw. But he could draft, right? Ted Thompson could draft. So yeah, I trust the I trust the Packers town evaluator. So anyway, John Dorsey, I think. Is an upgrade, so I don't look at it like it's the old Browns. It's not Sashi Brown. Well, so first and off, the you nerds. gotta you gotta wonder if you look at this the old Browns, it feels like this was an example of the Sixers trust the process, but not really, but even more egregious. Right? We talked about this recently. If Sam Hankey were with the 76ers today and he had a contract, it was either gonna get re-upped or he was gonna be fired. Do you think the Sixers would re-up Hanky right now? Everyone agrees they would. It's not even a debate. Does that, does <laughs> it, no, I mean, I, Fezzik looked like he was a deer in headlights. Were you, hey, he landed were some you, special players. I, I, I thought it was such an obvious question that maybe it was a trick question. No, just answer. Just <laughs> yeah. answer. I promise. Just answer. Okay. So Hanky was right. 
they they reacted too quickly, let him go, and now he's going to be, you know, especially if the Sixers end up winning it in the next five or seven years, is he'll be famous for the guy that did it and didn't get, you know, almost like Pete Best or whatever, the Beatles, the first Beatles drummer. Okay, is the Browns, everyone's sitting going, hey, we finally got a football guy. Now, again, a football guy, what, that was not even number one on a Packers team that if you take, a, if, if every quarterback in the league was the same, Meaning quarterback was not a differentiator. We had a robot quarterback that was the same for every team. Where's the Packers? 28th, 29th, Fez, in your power ratings? That might be too high. Okay. So this is the, the guy who was, the guy who was the number two or three there is the guy we're saying, whoo, the savior's here. I didn't call him a savior, but he's an upgrade from the old Browns management. Except the old Brown management had a plan. Their plan was they've stockpiled all these picks that we're glorifying here. But in executing the plan, they also, the fireable offense was the two quarterbacks they missed on. Those are gigantic mistakes. Basically, they came out and said, Carson Wentz is not that good. And in the 12 hole, they traded out of Deshaun Watson is drafted. And that's where I think the next actionable point in this whole thing is. And let's be honest. We yeah. don't know Deshaun Watson. You're right. Let, not, let's be candid. That's not done in North Wentz. Art, well, yeah, but Wentz, I'm willing to make a great bet on. Okay. Art, I would lay, that's an interesting question, Fez, is let's just set a, uh, some kind of statistical threshold. Will Wentz be average being a top 10 quarterback over the next eight years? Uh, and let's forget the stats for a second. Let's just say someone we trusted made that bet. Would you lay minus 200, minus 300? Wentz would be a top 10 quarterback over the next eight years? I'd lay minus 200, not minus 300, only because of recurring injury yeah, issues. Yeah, so we're, we're at some point in the 66% and beyond, right? With Watson, that same question, I, I'd even money, I'd bet against it. I think he's more prone to injury is the problem. Well, yeah, right? And, I mean, don't forget RG3 had a better rookie season than Andrew Luck did. RG3 won the Offensive Rookie of the Year. Yeah. He had an amazing first year. One knee injury, you know, and and again with those super physical, uh, gifted quarterbacks, it just takes sometimes you know knock on wood for them. But one knee injury, right? So, I guess swinging this all back around, a lot of interesting topics here. But boy, oh boy, if you tell me, hey, the second best Packer front office guy is coming in, I'm not so excited about that. The only thing that scares me as a Steeler fan about the Browns is all these draft choices. Now it feels like they're starting to. Almost be like someone left a couple cases of beer in the fridge. <laughs> they show up and they're starting to pass out free beers. They're giving a 65th pick. So, Fez, make make the case where this Tyrod Taylor signing for $60 million and the 65th pick, how much better do you think he would be even in year one versus, and let's not you try to guess how good these quarterbacks are. Let's just say the average number one quarterback in the draft when there's not a clear Andrew Luck? Because really, could we make the case in the last 10 years there's only been one, it would seem, oh my gosh, surefire thing, you know, suck for luck. I mean, there's been other little phrases like that, but they never went more than three or four weeks usually, right? So we've had one short thing. You take that out of the, not short thing, but close. Take that out of the mix. The average number one quarterback last 10 years versus Tyrod Taylor year one. What's that handicap? The Browns with the rookie quarterback only win four games. With Tyrod Taylor, they win six. Oh, my God. That's crazy. You think that literally you get 50% more wins out of Tyrod Taylor versus 
the the number. Let's Absolutely. just Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I hate rookie quarterbacks. Now, what's happened is we've had some <laughs> success with them of late, but I go back well, long there's enough. a reason we've had. But again, you can go back and talk about when there wasn't a designated hitter in <laughs> sure. baseball. Why are rookie quarterbacks doing better? It's because the NFL game is so much more like the college game today. It's because these college quarterbacks have been that are now 21 years old and becoming NFL quarterbacks have been throwing seven on seven in spring ball. Brad, you, I mean, quickly, we got to take a break here, but you follow high school to college as well as anyone in Vegas. I mean, just in 30 seconds, give us like how different these quarterbacks are prep wise versus like Dan Marino was in 83. Well, and also keep in mind, these kids are only playing one sport these days. They're not transitioning from basketball to baseball to football. It's football all year round. So they're much more physically gifted, especially at the quarterback spot. And they're doing seven on sevens in the spring. And and in in practice, they're throwing all the time. Back in the day, even I think Colin mentioned Kristen Ponder apparently averaged 180 yards a game his senior year. I mean, even in the time since him, the way these guys throw, I would say that if 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 you and, and let me ask this last question on this topic: If I said, okay, let's mathematically mathematically define how good rookie quarterbacks have been in the last ten years, and then I would bet over that performance in the next ten years at even money, would you take that bet? No, that's a good bet for you. Because it's trending in that direction. So it doesn't apply to the Browns this year. It does. Mitch Trubisky, I'd say, is what? 30% on a scale of 1 to 100. 100 being Andrew Luck. Trubisky, at least from what we saw in his rookie year, about 30. right? Not horrible, but not even average for a high, high draft choice. Is How much better is Tyrod Taylor than Trubisky? Oh, significantly better. You might be right. That might be two games, but I don't think it. I think it was much better than a fifty percent chance. The number one pick is better than Trubisky. Oh, I'm going to disagree. I'm going to disagree. Well, that's why. (laughs) That's why there's chocolate and vanilla ice cream. (laughs) Back to the brackets. They're coming out soon. We'll talk about overrated, underrated, and break down the bubble here on Straight Out of Vegas, Fox Sports Radio. Straight Out of Vegas. It's straight out of Vegas, coming live from the Geico Fox Sports Radio Studios. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Visit geico.com for a free rate quote. We were talking about the Browns looking ahead to 2018. Big Friday, they add a quarterback for a third-round pick. Tyrod Taylor is the guy long-term, the bridge. We don't know. RJ, one last point on the Browns? Yeah, I'm taking the boss's prerogative. One last question. So, Fez, you and I disagree that the idea that the average number one pick for a quarterback, you think Taylor would perform significantly better in year one. I disagree, but let's set that aside. In year two, average number one pick versus Taylor. That's a great question. Pick them. Okay. So what you're telling me is, in year one, that the Brown... You fell in the trap, by the way. In year one... (laughs) That the Browns have no chance to win the Super Bowl, no true material chance. I mean, obviously they have a one in a thousand or whatever, but you agree to that, correct? Might be high. Okay. All right. Is so really you're saying we're we're giving up the 65th pick in the draft, sixteen million dollars to improve a little bit this year, but let's even say two games. But then, how much does Taylor playing in year one for a majority of the year, if he's clearly better, if not the whole year? hinder the growth of that quarterback. 
meaning we're somehow trading a year development for the quarterback that you think is going to be equally as good as in year two, why not keep your 65th pick? Or if you want to trade it, trade it for a second round or something in three years, right? You can do that easily or two years. And imagine that. We talked about it yesterday. The Browns are starting to make playoffs, but they still got picks because they're trading some of them now for two or three in the future. So for you're really saying for $16 million and the 65th pick and the retardation, that's a PC use of the word, the retardation of the development of your number one pick, that's on one side of the ledger, and on the other side is two meaningless wins this year. Two points. <laughs> I think you're being tremendously optimistic saying you want the Browns to make the playoffs five out of ten years. I think finding a plan that the Browns can win seven games over the next three years is a tremendous business plan for Cleveland. If you had to make an over-under right now on the Browns, all right, so next year is 18, the next season is 18, 19 is the season after, 20 is the season after. If you had to make an over-under on the Browns in 2020, so not this season, not next, but the third season ahead, what would it be? Six and a half. I will bet you $10,000. This is an, this is, we're in the same room. This isn't across state lines. $10,000 on the over right now. Do you want to book it? Well, I don't want to lose that much, so I'll just lose $200. we will go 200 I think you're going to get a And this shows, this is a Boy, that de-escalated. So, so, so your, limits, your limits are 200 on your numbers. Well, and this really shows why the bookmaker can get in trouble when he sets a virgin line out there off the cuff without thinking Honestly, much. all joking aside, but uh, Brad, you're not an NFL specialist. You're a great football mind. What would you put that number at? Seven, seven and a half. Yeah, I put it at nine over 130. Wow. Wow. Uh, to me, what team could possibly have more optimism than the Browns with the, the the crazy amount of draft choices that they have? I mean, it's like, how do you build it? This is like the Cowboys when they were 1-15. and 15. Uh, Now, they don't have Jimmy Johnson. And next level thinking, Big Ben's probably not going to be in Pittsburgh. Your division's probably going to be a much weaker Three years but from it's, now. But it's not like Dallas in the perspective of everything has to have changed for Cleveland over the past 10 years. They alternated four and five wins for eight years, and then they won one game and zero games. How can you discount that, not record of mediocrity, but absolute ineptness? But they're, they're going through multiple owners during that time, too. So to, uh, to what degree is it that we're going to say that there's an institutional trend with the team when they don't have the same coach, they don't have the same front office, they don't have the same owners. No free agent wants to go to Detroit or Cleveland to live, RJ. For now. Forever. But, well, I can tell you this, is once you start winning in the NFL, you have no problem. I mean, let's not forget, we can say the Browns <laughs> are, are, are lovable losers or whatever because they haven't won a Super Bowl. But the Browns were what? The sixth or seventh most successful team of the 80s? I mean, so if they would have won a soup, one of those Super Bowls, would we? I mean, obviously, we'd still think the Browns are back because recently. No, I was gonna keep going, keep going. No, no. All I'm saying is this: is the Browns can? If anyone's gonna mess it up, it's the Browns. But this will be my last question, open question to everybody: is have we had a team with this bounty of draft choices in the next two, three years in the this century? Can we even compare? Like the Rams made that one trade and they got, you know, a couple picks for RG3. I mean, this is like the number of picks the Browns have is unprecedented this century. So unless they mess it up times three, 
an over and under of nine is saying they're a slightly better than average team. The idea that the the biggest bounty of draft choices in memory can't in three years lead to an above average team? Boy, there is a stink on the Browns. And as much as I hate them because I'm a Steeler fan, I don't think that stinky is that stinky. Cofield, what do you, what would you put the number at? And forget the number. Do you think the Browns in, in 2020 are going to be an above average team? Yes. So you'd be betting over that seven? Yes. Over 10,000. Six and a half. I said six and a half. Go, Cofield, write Whoa, that. Six Cofield, and a half. You're the record keeper. Go ahead and write the 200. 200 I owe RJ $200. I'll, I'll let you buy out of it for 180 bucks right now. No, no. <laughs> hey, I, I, Cleveland, Buffalo, Detroit, they don't win. Straight ever. out of Vegas is brought to you by Granger, the products and services you need when you need them. Granger's got your back to help your uh, facility run or keep your facility running. Granger for the ones who get it. Done. Hold on. You just said the Bills that made four four Super Bowls in six years. First playoff at, at, since 1999. <laughs> Go ahead. Let's talk bubble teams. Let's get back to the brackets. They're coming out here in just a few hours. First of all, Arizona State. What sort of case does Arizona State have? I'm looking at the uh, excellent bracket matrix, and it looks like almost no shot. Well, they have a shot because of Arizona State's hot start of the season. Arizona State starts off 12-0, and great two wins. Nobody in the country has two better non-conference wins than Arizona State. Xavier and Kansas, two possible number one seeds. But since that 12-0 and start, Arizona State, not even an average team, a below-average team. They're 8-11, and straight-up Arizona State. Even worse, against the spread in their last 19 games, Arizona State's covered four. So here's a team clearly not even coming close to expectations. Not only recently, we're talking two and a half months of basketball. Arizona State not even in my top 50. I would have Arizona State on the outside looking in when it comes to the, the NCAA tournament. Like I said, most people have them on the outside looking in. A lot of people have Oklahoma in, and Oklahoma's case, I think, is worse than Arizona State's. Where where are the NCAA tournament games played? Are they played in home venues for, for the teams, or are they played neutral? Neutral. Okay, so Oklahoma's going to be away from home. Is that correct? Oklahoma's 0-10 straight up, 0-10 against the spread in games away from home since the start of 2018. How is that even a bubble team? I'll go further. A team in Oklahoma is 3-13 against the spread of their last 16 games. Last 16 games, 4-12 and straight up. Oklahoma doesn't deserve to be on the bubble, but Oklahoma gets probably a bump from the committee because Oklahoma has a very profi- high-profile player in Trey Young. Quick question. Just give me the answer. What's the odds Oklahoma makes the tournament? 55%. I think it's higher than that. I think it's 80 or 90%. So I want to address wow. that on the way back. Because this is something that wise guys have to take into account. Do biases from the committee play into your handicapping? But first, Ralph Irvin with the latest. Well, thank you very much, gentlemen. You talk about those NCAA tournaments. We do know teams that are in, and that's because they've earned automatic bids. We start with the ACC, where Virginia is the champion. Number two, ranked Villanova, won the Big East. Kansas, the Big 12 champion. Arizona. Wins the Pac-12. Maryland, Baltimore County, the American East. San Diego State, the Mountain West. North Carolina Central, the MEAC. Texas Southern, the SWAC. Montana is the Big Sky champion. Marshall took the Conference USA title. Their first NCAA trip since 1985. Stephen F. Austin is going to the tournament. Winners of the Southland Conference. Buffalo won the MAC. New Mexico State won the WAC. And Cal State Fullerton, a 71-55 win over UC Irvine. They win the Big West title. Online car shopping can be confusing, not anymore with True Price from True Car. Now you can know the exact price you'll pay for your next car. So visit True Car to enjoy a more confident 
car buying experience in the NBA. Oklahoma City, a 104-94 win over San Antonio. Miami, 129-102 over Washington. And gentlemen, Tiger Woods, one shot back into the final round of the Valspar Championship. That's outside of Tampa. Get this. Eight months ago, he was at 100-1 to to win the 2018 Masters. When he returned to action in November, he dropped to 50-1. to In December, when he played at his own Hero Challenge, 33-1. to In January, it dropped to 20-1. to March 1st, he was at 16-1. to Friday, after nine holes of his second round, Westgate dropped him to 12-1. to And after nine more holes, in other words, finishing his second round, oh, and also won $4,000 bet later, he was at 10-1. to He's now just behind Dustin Johnson and Justin Thomas as the Masters favorites. They are at 8-1. to Good job, Ralph. We're going to hit that in about 15 minutes because Fezzik's got a betting tip, possibly against Tiger Woods. So you're saying Ralph is stepping on our show? No, not at all. <laughs> not at all. What great information. That was good stuff. But you got to shop the number, too. We're going to hit that as well. So we were just talking about the bubble teams. Uh, you said 50% on Oklahoma. I said 80%, Now, what I'm basing this on... You recommended, what is it? Uh, the bracket matrix uh, that basically takes all the bracket projections out there, hundreds of them, and takes an average of where the teams are going to be. I think it's the best bracket projection site out there. Oklahoma, and you were right. Oklahoma's oh, in yeah. 102 of 104, so my 80% number sucks. My, well, th- Arizona my, State. Arizona my 55% yeah, number really, really sucks. <laughs> Let's put that in perspective. Arizona State's only in 44 of 104, but you know that's not that's not awful. But it's they're they're outside looking in right now. But it shows you, Brad, your instincts are going to be to handicap someone making the tournament or not on merit, and these projections are based upon the reality of the committee. Yep, and we know that follow the money. So you, you guys have been talking about, sorry, Fez, you guys have been talking about the bias of this committee, and we've talked about Oklahoma for six weeks. They're, they've been terrible. Lon Kruger's a nice guy. I'd like to see Trey Young play in the tournament. But the body of work recently just does not back it up, and somehow they're safely in the tournament. This is wacky. I wouldn't say wacky. I'd almost say borderline corrupt. A team that clearly doesn't deserve to make it gets in over a team that that probably has a much better resume. I mean, it just goes to show you that this NCAA tournament, not necessarily about getting the best teams in, but bringing in the most amount of money. And who's going to bring in some money, or at least viewers to the TV set? Trey Young, one of the most high-profile players in the entire country. So, RJ, how much do wise guys use the bias, the corruption of the selection committee in terms of the way they break down these games? Well, I don't think... It's the bias of the committee that affects anything. It's who's in the tournament. And if there are more overrated teams, because let's think of it like this. Let's say a team is very popular. Let's say like do or let's use Kansas as an example, because we were debating, should they be a number one? Is Brad, you think they're about the sixth best team? Well, obviously, one, two, three and four are the number one seed. So if they get a number one, they might be a little bit overseeded, right? But they're in the tournament anyway. So Kansas is going to be overrated by a certain amount if we think so, if we think they're a public team, and thus we handicap that game. Where there's additional opportunities because of the... And and I think corruption is a word we should save, probably, for other things. I think that there's there's certainly their eyes are on the dollar sign, you know, their mind's on their money, and their money's (laughs) on their mind. I think that's fair to say, right? Yes. Is... 
That's a good song. Yeah, it was. <laughs> I'm impressed, actually. Oh, oh, so much drama in the LBC. Yeah. But here's the, <laughs> here's the thing, is Oklahoma being in the tournament, let's say, as opposed to not being in the tournament, puts another overrated team in the mix for us to fade. So I think in general where the opportunity is, Cofield, is when these bubble teams, when the teams that get in because of the money – it's just more teams for us to look to fade in the tournament. So let's talk about overrated teams. You mentioned Xavier in our number one. They could be a one seed. They're, they're going to be a one seed. Is that the most overrated team? Or is it Auburn really struggling, beat up at the uh, big position? What do you think, Auburn? Well, I, and they're, I they're slated to be a three. Auburn slated to be a three, and let's put in perspective, Auburn has not made the NCAA tournament since 2003. So this is a, a, a program that's not used to being at this level, let alone being a top three seed in the NCAA tournament. Auburn team finally, w- with the expectations, end of the season, what happens? They lose one of their best players in McLemore. Auburn is playing their worst basketball of the season, two and four straight up, last six games, one and five against the number. I will be selling Auburn, and depending on the matchup, if they get that 314 or that 413 seed, here's a team I'll be looking to not only play against against the number because of them missing not only a key player, but maybe even an out, a possible team that they can get outright upset in that first-round game. All right, so five straight days. So we're talking about Auburn, Yep. right? Is I still haven't heard in all that why they're not playing well. Well, here's what Auburn's dealing with. They were mentioned all year long with the FBI allegations. They used it, Auburn did, used it as a rallying cry, Bruce Pearl, for the, at least the start of the season. So it was us against so the world. So this conversation was out there when? When did the conversation? Before the season started. They were one of those two, three programs. When the Louisville stuff was going on, Auburn was also being mentioned before the season. Auburn uses this as motivation, us against the world mentality. One of the biggest surprise teams in the country, Auburn is. They're 18 and 6, Auburn, against the spread first 24 games. So they're starting to get overpriced because people, they're making money betting Auburn. Auburn dealing with expectations for the first time. That creates a little bit of a distraction. You already have the FBI, and then you lose one of your key players. So a lot of strikes against Auburn right now. Right. But the FBI, how does it go from being something to rally around to being a negative? Well, there was more talk about it. Uh, and so wouldn't they rally around it more? Well, you would think maybe, but I'm not. So that's what I'm saying. I, I really hate just arbitrarily, like, looking at the results and then going back and saying, well, what could it be? Maybe it was because it was windy or there were, it was it rained for three days. It's like it can't be. Or it could be, but I don't understand the logic that it is going to be a positive, the FBI investigation, and then it becomes a negative? Well, I don't 100% know, but I think it's All starting right, so to get to their head coach, Bruce Pearl, who was in an But off- how do you know that? Well, he was in a scuffle at the end of their last game. That That's not much like him. Maybe the pressure's finally get to him. Maybe he's finally realizing he's down his last couple games as the Auburn head coach. I think it's really the Macklemore injury. The Auburn performance just completely went to the tank when he went that one out. And so that, and he's out for the rest of the year? Out for the year. And, okay. and has the market properly adjusted? No, because they're going to see, well, how many points per game does Macklemore score? Seven. Yeah. So he's, 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 a, seven and, he's a seven and five so it's guy. Not, it's not basketball sexy, yep. but vital. But he's their rim protector, three, nearly three blocks per game, one of the nation's leaders in blocks. And that's what I love about this show is Brad and Fezzik always has, they always have all the knowledge we need. And sometimes they put it out there in a way that's easily consumable and sometimes not, right? Luckily, RJ's here. We'll get to the bottom of it. But to me, that takeaway 
and Cofield handing off to you, tell me if you agree, of, okay, we had an Auburn team. Maybe they were just got lucky in a couple games early too, right? We always talk about whenever a team really exceeds expectations, preseason expectations drastically for like half a season, usually they're a lot better than we thought they would be, but they're usually not as good as they're playing. So a little bit of, hey, they a little regression back to their true level, a key injury, and here we've got an overrated team, Auburn, because that injury isn't being properly valued by the market. Agree? Agree. All right, Op- we can move on. Opposition matters too, right? Making adjustments, taking Auburn more seriously. Let's look for some Cinderella's. Uh, this will really matter when the brackets are out. First, Fezzik, you like Loyola. Loyola, Chicago, going to be a 12 seed probably. I think they're going to win their first round. They get the right matchup. They are undervalued. The reason being, they're on a 17-1 straight-up run. Their only loss was by two points. But prior to that, they went 1-3, and three, lost to three mediocre teams because their point guard, Custer, was out. He is so important to this team. But because they are an under-the-radar team, they are undervalued. People are looking at those losses, those three losses for Loyola, not realizing how good they are. Your Cinderella is Mountain West Conference champion San Diego State with a good NCAA tournament pedigree up until a couple of years ago. They got really hot San Diego State, the Aztec State, at the end of the season. And it makes sense because San Diego State, for the first time, what, 20 years, had a brand-new coach. Dutcher, the longtime assistant for Steve Fisher, got the job. Probably first head coaching job for him. Had to meander through some things. And you look at the last nine games for San Diego State, they're by far the best team in the Mountain West. Not Nevada, a team that San Diego State beat twice down the stretch, 9-0 and straight up, 8-1 and against the spread. One of the more impressive performances of this entire championship week was the first half against Nevada, beating them a tournament team by 30 at halftime. San Diego State will be a 12 seed. Another team, if you're looking for that sexy 12 versus 5 upset, San Diego State's a team to look for. And one of the things I'll be doing, and this will be coming out tomorrow, so this will be pretty much once the brackets come out, I'll be sharing it, is 11 bracket picking rules. And I don't use... The word rule lightly, meaning if you break this rule, you're making a big mistake because history, and here's the beauty of it, assuming a 64-team tournament because you just ignore the play-ins because come Thursday we got 64 teams, this goes back to 1985. We've had 64 teams. So we know, obviously everyone knows, where the 16 doesn't beat the 1. right? So you don't think you're really all that smart not picking the 16. I've got... 11 different rules that are almost that powerful where if you break them, you're making just a big a mistake. And it doesn't tell you who to pick, but it tells you who not to pick. And that really helps when it comes to the brackets. Follow me on Twitter. His Twitter handle is at RJ in Vegas. And I'll be putting those bracket tips out tomorrow and leading up to Thursday's action. We've got title games in the SEC, the American, the Atlantic 10. We'll break those down for you, give you a lean or alike, and of course, uh, Tiger Woods update as he's in the running in Florida for a title, and it's changing the Masters odds. That's on the way, straight out of Vegas, Fox Sports Radio. It's straight out of Vegas, Geico, Fox Sports Radio Studios. Great news, there's a quick way you can save money. Switch to Geico, go to geico.com, and in 15 minutes, you can save 15% or more on car insurance. Action-packed last segment for straight out of Vegas. Best bet time coming up in a few. Championship games, SEC title game, Tennessee and Kentucky. Is Kentucky underrated in this one? Looks like right now, they're the dogs. 
Yeah, a slight dog. Kentucky plus one. To me, that's the right number. Tennessee, keep in mind, beat Kentucky both of the earlier meetings. Here's where I think the value is in this game. It's on the under. Although, as we're doing this show, a lot of people agree with me because the unders crashed a couple of points from 138.5 down to 136.5. And I saw not one, but two outliers from today's games that give some value towards the under. Number one outlier. Tennessee today in their semifinal shot 57% from the field. Second best mark this entire season for Tennessee. Second outlier. Kentucky shot 64% from the field today. Second best mark for Kentucky this entire season. Unlikely for both of those teams to repeat those two performances in this game against top 20 defenses. Value on the under. I like under 136.5. American Championship game. Cincinnati laying 4.5 against Houston. You've not been high on the Bearcats. I am not. And we've said at the top of the show why Cincinnati's been overrated. Cincinnati not very motivated for this game. Win or lose, Cincinnati's pretty much locked into a number two seed. Houston probably can jump up a seed by claiming this championship. Here's a Houston team playing their best basketball this season. Best bet's going to be on Houston here, plus the four and a half. Cougars 10-1 and one straight up, 8-3 and three against the number. Beat Cincinnati in the last game, so they're confident they can not only play, but beat Cincinnati here. And again, I'm going with Houston with the better offense, a top 20 defense, best bet, Houston plus four and a half. And possibly the most dramatic game of the day, and all the bubble teams are going to be watching this one, Rhode Island laying two and a half against Davidson. Rhodey is in, Davidson is not if it doesn't win, so they are a bid stealer. Now, wait a second. Dude, were you looking at my sheet? Because that's half my handicap here. <laughs> Rhode Island doesn't need to win okay. this game. The, okay. the win or lose, Rhode Island's in the NCAA tournament, and Rhode Island just extended a lot of effort. Big, huge come-from-behind win against St. Joe's today, 90-87. So a little bit tired, not as motivated. Davidson win, and you're in. Max motivated Davidson getting points against a team they just beat a couple weeks ago. Davidson, lean, plus two and a half. Does, I should know this, do the conferences financially benefit from an additional team getting in? They get $1.7 million per team. It's spread out over time, though. Okay. So, yes. So, really, what we're saying here is that not only does Davidson's opponent not necessarily have motivation because they're an at-large team, they have a financial motivation to lose the game. <laughs> nice. Right? Yes. The, com- the conference yeah. would like the third team. You know, I'd be fascinated, and you'd have to do this by hand, but go back the last 10 years where you've got this exact scenario where a team's in for sure, and if their opponent wins, they get the automatic bid, and they ha- the opponent has no chance at the at large. So it's a team that doesn't need to win, and there's a financial motivation to lose. I'd be interested to see how that was against the spread. I love that. First Tiger Woods mentioned in forever on this show. Straight to Vegas because he's uh, finally playing well. He's one stroke off the lead going to the uh, Sunday round at the Valspar. Hasn't won since 2013. Odds now have already been changed on the Masters to 15 to 1, 10 to 1, 12 to 1. You got to sh- really shop the number. Is there actionable uh, move here against Tiger Woods? Coming up over the next couple of months. Yes, because the public loves Tiger Woods. They're betting on him to win the Masters. He's way overvalued. We're going to get value by betting in golf matchups against him. We're going to take one other golfer. So let's be clear. Golf matchups. So we're not talking about betting who's going to win a tournament, but they put matchups. Tiger versus Justin Thomas. Right. Right. We're going to bet against Tiger in those golf selective golf matchups head to head. Dream preview. I think this is going to be one of the best of the year. I'm excited. We're going down all 32 first round matchups. Brad, Fezzik, myself, a bookmaker. Just go at RJ in Vegas for that. And obviously, we've got 
my bracket picking tips on my Twitter also. You can't pick the brackets without these tips. We'll see you next week, Friday at 11 o'clock Pacific. Jonas Knox is up next right here on Fox Sports Radio. Right out of Vegas! At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. You wouldn't expect to hear that we're America's third best city for beer like this one. Or home to vibes like this. And this. It might surprise you that we're top 10 for immersive art that's like... Whoa. And... Hmm. Not to mention, we have one of the top zoos in the country. So can a city with the country's best pro soccer team, ranking as a top culinary destination in the world, be in your own backyard? Yes, Columbus. Plan your summer at experiencecolumbus.com slash summer. The following is a high-five moment from highfivecasino.com. Welcome to Burger Yippee. Would you like a hot apple pie today? Yes, yes, yeah, I won! Woohoo! So that's a yes on the apple pie? I just went big time playing High Five Casino on my phone. Real cash prizes, free daily rewards, over 1,200 games. Yeah. So yes or no on the apple pie? Woo! I won again! I'll take that as a yes. Drive around. Have you had your high-five moment today? Only at highfivecasino.com. High Five Casino is a social casino. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited. Play responsibly. Conditions apply. See website for details. High Five Casino.